0: Well, this morning, we're going to continue on with our theme of local evangelism uh, month. And uh, I do want to share with you a great opportunity, uh, seeing how I'm up here and no one else is, so uh, I'm going to share with you a great opportunity for local evangelism that's going to come up in the next three or four months. And that is, uh, you need to mark your calendars uh, for on January 28th, First Baptist is hosting a wild game dinner. Okay, so most of you just stay seated. I know you're excited about that. Uh, but we have a great opportunity to uh, host this wild game dinner. We're going to have a, uh, uh, did I say it was January 28th? Okay, put it on your calendar. We're gonna have a speaker here, his name's Gabe uh, Van Warmer. He's from Michigan Outdoors, a Christian man. We'll share the gospel and we want to use this as an opportunity to reach those who don't know Christ. And uh, that's where you come in, okay? to invite your friends and, and uh, relatives that don't know the Lord but are outdoor enthusiasts, so to speak. There'll be a lot of things going on here that day uh, with vendors and, and, well, the DNR here, we we'll have all kinds of stuff here, but most importantly, we will have a gospel message that everyone will get to hear. And uh, we want to encourage you to put that on your calendar and invite someone. We do have some flyers in the back there if you want more information or you can get online. It's on there too. As well and we'll have more information as the time gets closer so we just want to give you some heads up for that so we can watch and see how the Lord's gonna work in our efforts here at local evangelism amen good I will be excited about that because I know we are now with the theme uh, that we're using this month for local evangelism gospel-shaped outreach I want to share with you this morning the title of my message is God's gospel plan And as we continue through with this, I want to share with you what I believe and what I think the scripture tells us about God's gospel plan. God's gospel plan has both a beginning and an ending. And we're going to look at the ending for the majority of our time this morning, but we do need to see the beginning. So if you take your Bibles real quickly, we're going to flip back and forth a little bit uh, to Genesis chapter 3. In the book of Genesis... We see, uh, or we know that sin entered into a perfect world that God had made, and, and Adam and Eve, as we know the story, rebelled against God, and because of that, death entered into the world, a vertical death, if you will, uh, that is separation from God, and also a, a horizontal death, which, which, which resulted in dysfunctional relationships with one another uh, here on this earth, and, and things just not being perfect like they once were amongst God's people. It brought a spiritual death, and that is our separation from God, but it also brought a physical death that we all are familiar with today. And man wasn't the only one affected by this sin, by this fall, if you will. Uh, the creation, all the creation, suffers under the weight and the burden of sin today because of this. So, but God did promise a Redeemer. God promised a Redeemer, a perfect sacrifice, one who would take away this sin, take the sin away from all of us, and he promised him through the descendants of Eve. This Redeemer would, would conquer sin, the Redeemer would, would conquer Satan, the Redeemer would, would do away with death as we know it today. And here in Genesis chapter 3, I want to share with you just one verse, verse 15, and here God is telling the, the serpent, he says, I will put enmity between you you, And the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. I want you to listen very carefully. This was God's plan right from the very beginning that a redeemer will come. This is the beginning part of God's gospel plan. Who is this redeemer? It says here in verse 15 the offspring of the woman, Eve. What will he do? He'll destroy the work of the serpent, that old devil. And how will he do it? At a great cost. He will be wounded, but Satan will be destroyed. And we ought to rejoice over that, that we know that early on in the Bible. Amen? Okay? You guys got to get a little more pumped up than that. This is God's gospel plan. We ought to be excited about it. And hopefully by the end of the service you'll be excited about to tell others about it. There you go. I want you to think about that. At the very beginning of Scripture, we already have the beginning of His plan that He will send a Redeemer to save us from our sins. Not just us, but all of us around us and all of creation. That should be exciting. So briefly, that's the beginning of God's gospel plan. Now I want us to go all the way toward the end of God's gospel plan and turn to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation... Chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. To understand what's going on in this chapter, we need to know what's going on in the passage before. So before we start reading, I, we, we need to get a picture in our heads of what's taking place. Understand, understand this. God is seated upon the throne. So all of you, if I ask you to close your eyes, I don't want you to fall asleep, but I want you to, to vision what this must look like, okay? So you have this scene in your minds. God is seated upon the throne. He is surrounding the, the surrounding the throne is an emerald rainbow that the, the Bible tells us about. And sitting around the throne are 24 elders representing the church of Jesus Christ. Coming from the throne are, are thunderings and, and lightnings and voices, which uh, signify the judgment that is about to fall upon the about to fall upon the earth. Now picture it. Spread out, spread out in front of this throne is a sea of glass. Think about that. Standing in the midst of the throne are four living creatures, the Bible says. And they are God's special angelic servants, if you will. And the Bible says that the angels rest day or, night, or do not rest day or night praising God. And the 24 elders, hearing the voice of the angels, it says they fall down on their faces and they worship him who lives forever and ever. That is the scene that we have here as we begin Revelation chapter 5. That's what, that's what you should have in your mind. Are you with me? Okay. Here in chapter 5 we have a book. Actually it's a scroll, but we'll probably call it a book. Look with me in verse 1 in, in, in Revelation chapter 5. This is John the apostle writes, he says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within on the back sealed with seven seals. Now listen carefully. It's not a book of prophecy that he sees here. It is not a book of instruction that John sees here. Folks, this is the title deed to the earth. That's important. This is the title deed to the earth. This book unfolds the rest of the entire book of Revelation. But What is going to take place is in this scroll, is in this book. Let me give an example. For instance, in the sixth chapter, the next chapter, we're not going to look at it. But we would look at seven seals. And as these seals are are opened, we see the judgments of God poured out upon the earth. And when the the seventh seal is opened, we have seven trumpets. They're called the seven trumpet judgments. And when the seventh trumpet sounds, you would find seven vile judgments or bowl judgments. And uh, all the judgments of God to this earth are wrapped up in this scroll. They're all in this book. And that's why we need to, and I need you to listen carefully, because I want you to be thinking of its importance of not just in our lives, but in God's plan with the gospel. How important this is. This book, which is about to be opened in our in our passage this morning, unfolds the entire history of the tribulation from the very beginning to the very end. That's how important this book is. It is the title deed to the earth. Title deeds are important, are they not? How many here own a home? How many here like knowing that if you got it paid off or whatever, even if you don't, you have the title deed to your property? It is yours. You own it. And this book tells us what will take place from the very beginning here in the book of Revelation to the very end during the tribulation period. What happens in the end? You know, we're told at the the blowing of the seventh trumpet, Jesus Christ will once again, He will once again uh, be in control of this earth. Go back with me to Revelation chapter 3, just a few pages over. Or not 3, Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. Look what the Bible says here. Look at me in verse Uh, verse 15. It says, Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet. This is the seventh trumpet. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on the thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God. Think about this. Jesus, once again, takes the dominion over the earth that so rightly belongs to him. That's what he's saying here in Revelation 11. That's why this book, this scroll, is so important. It is the title deed to the earth, and whoever possesses it, owns it. Now, John sees the scroll in the hand of God. That's that's the first point I want to share with you this morning. John sees the scroll in the hand of God the Father. Look with me in verse 2. We'll read verse 1 again, then we'll... Really comes straight on two and on. He says, then I saw, this is John saying, then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. You have to have that picture in your mind, okay? And then it says in verse two, and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth, was able to open the scroll or look into it. And then what's John do? Before we even read on, what would you do? What's it say? And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, weep no more. Think about this. This passage of scripture begins the, the story of the thrust of this whole chapter. It is the unfolding story of the one who, who takes the scroll and opens it up. It's the, it's the unfolding story of the one of the only one who's worthy of our worship. You need to picture the scene in your mind, this mighty angel, mighty angel is looking for someone who is worthy to open this book and break its seal. And no one, no one can be found. Not on the earth, not under the earth, not in heaven. You ever think about that? It says John begins to weep. Actually, it says John begins to weep loudly, which actually means he kept shedding tears. He was doing more than just crying. He was weeping loudly because no one could be found to open the book. Now, if it ended there, how terrible would things be? you ever thought about that? How terrible would it be? That's probably what was going through John's mind. No one can be found to open this book you ever ask yourself, well, who will save us? Who would save us if no one could be found? What would happen? What will happen if, if no, no one is found worthy to open a book and look inside and claim it? You know what would happen? We'd all be lost and on our way to hell. This is not the first time we have something like this in Scripture. We have a similar scene. In the Old Testament except that was given to Daniel and at the end of Daniel's prophecy after God had revealed much of uh, the future events to him uh, we can read it if you want to turn back to Daniel chapter 12. In fact you can keep your finger there we'll go back there another time. In Daniel chapter 12 we, we see a scene similar to this and so for us who have the scriptures this isn't the first time we should hear this in in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 12, look with me, if you're there, in verse 5, it says, Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two other, and they're talking about angels, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on the other bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time times and half a time and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end all these things would be finished now do you understand all that go like this if you don't and go like this if you do it does not matter either way because look what Daniel says I heard but i did not understand then i said go my then i said go my lord what shall be the outcome of these things or oh my lord what shall be the outcome of these things and he said go your way daniel for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end daniel didn't understand he asked the question and 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 The one standing there in white linen says, Just go your ways, for these words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Guess what, folks? That's this book. That's where we're at. This is what we're talking about here in Daniel uh, chapter 12. So, when Daniel saw what Daniel saw about the future, he didn't understand. God had sealed it up, and this is what John is about to unseal here in the fifth chapter of Revelation. So, think about this. This is all part of God's plan. Think about this: When this scroll is unrolled and is read, we will have the detailed discussion or detailed uh, description, if you will, of everything that's going to happen on this earth from now to the end, of, uh, from now until the end. And Daniel didn't have that. Daniel didn't understand that, but we have it. We know it. We can read about it. You think God just didn't want Daniel to have it but, you know, because he wasn't smart enough or Daniel just you know, wasn't, the right, you know, he wasn't the right guy, and, but he gives it to us to understand? Do you think that's what it was? No, this is all part of God's plan. All part of God's plan is he unfolds the gospel for us. That's why this book is so crucial. That's why this book is so important. Folks, this should motivate us. Think about it. This should motivate us to get the gospel to as many people as as possible. He is unveiling his plan in the book of Revelation. He is unveiling what is going to take place during the tribulation period. Daniel didn't have that. It was sealed up for him. He didn't understand that. It's unsealed now for us. The contents of this book is no longer sealed. For us, we can no longer use that excuse, if you will. We have the beginning of the consummation of God's gospel plan right here in this book. And we don't even pay attention to it, I think. Listen, what this book tells us is going to happen will happen. Do you ever think about that? How many here have ever read the book of Revelation before? I know Pastor Tim preached through it uh, some years ago. How many here have ever read it on their own? You ever, you ever think about this? It's not some fairy tale. It's not. So how many have ever read the book of Revelation and said, "Well, I don't really care too much about the rest of that stuff because I won't be here because the rapture will have taken place." You know what? I want you to think about this. What this book tells us is going to happen will happen. And it's, it's not going to be avoided if we all of a sudden become really good Christians. It's not going to be avoided if, if we all of a sudden decide to come to church every Sunday and, and give our tithes and participate in ministries and work hard for God. Now, many of these things we should be doing, but for other reasons. It's, it's not going to be avoided if, if we just cl- claim that we're ignorant of it and ignore it. It's not going to be avoided... By anything we can do there's gonna come a time as John saw here where he's going to where, where, the, where the, the the person standing in the middle of the throne in the center of the throne which we're gonna read about shortly is gonna come forth grab this scroll and is gonna open it and the things that it's given us in that scroll are going to take place it's not we, we can't avoid it that's part of God's plan What this book says will happen, will happen. The seven seals will be opened. The seven trumpets will sound. The seven vials will be poured out. All of it will take place, just like God planned it to. Now, let me ask you this. That should motivate us. Wouldn't you agree? That should motivate us to put away all these silly arguments that we have sometimes, put away our selfish desires, put away lazy Christianity, and get the gospel of Jesus Christ to those who have never heard it or those who don't understand it. That should motivate us. These things will take place. That's part of God's plan. Well, the next thing I'd like to share with you is to take a look at the identity of the one who does take the scroll and back in Revelation 5, look with me. In verse 5, it says, and, the one, and then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out to, into all the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I want to just stop there for a second. Who is this one who alone is worthy to take the scroll from the one sitting on the throne? Well, we're given three names for him here. The first one is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. This is the only, this is the only place in the book of Revelation where he's called a lion. In Genesis chapter 49, you don't need to turn, I'll just read it to you. When Jacob here is giving his blessing to his sons before he passes away, Genesis 49 says this, Then Jacob called his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you what shall happen to you in days to come. Judah, your brothers, shall praise you. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's sons shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's cub. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he, crucified as a, or he crouched as a lion and as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until tribute comes to him and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Here we find that from the tribe of Judah would one day come the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ himself. So one of the names for the Messiah is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. It's important to the Jewish people to understand that. And then the second name is the Root of David. King David was was from the tribe of Judah also. And as far as Jesus' humanity was concerned... Jesus had his roots in David. And that's the, that's the catch right here, as, as far as he's described as the root of David. It says the root of David, which puts Jesus back before David in his ancestry. So Jesus was both the ancestor of David and the predecessor of David. And if you remember, this got Jesus into some trouble once in the New Testament, back in, in Matthew chapter 22. Here again, I'll just... I'll just read it for you. Back in Matthew chapter 22, it says, Now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, The son of David. And he said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, set up my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? Then the Bible says this, and no one was able to answer him a word, and nor from that day did anyone dare ask him any more questions. You see, in other words, they couldn't figure out how David could both be related to Jesus as the one who came before David and the one who came after David. But folks, Jesus was both in his humanity from David and in his deity before David. He's the root of David. And then the third title they give him here, or name they give him, is that of a lamb. It's one of the, it, this, is, this one is the best of all. He is called the lamb 28 times in the book of Revelation. Even though he was introduced as a, as a lion, John saw him as a what? As a lamb. A lamb that appeared to have been slain. Also, this lamb is standing, and that's important to keep in mind. He's standing right in the midst of the throne. This standing is a picture of the resurrected Christ in heaven. He has been slain, but he is alive, and he is standing. Remember earlier in Scripture, we see that the the Lord is, what, seated at the right hand of God, correct? Everybody know that? You do now. He is seated at the right hand of God, which tells us that redemption's work is all done, All part of God's plan. All part of God's gospel plan. Redemption work is done. Jesus has died on the cross. He's he's, he's rose from the dead. He's, He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. But when you see the lamb standing, that's much different. We need to take heed because judgment is about to happen. That's what this is talking about. You know, there are some characteristics about this lamb. I want you to notice what they are. The lamb appears to have been slain, but he is alive. Look what it, look what it says here. It says here uh, in verse, uh, where are we at? Verse two. It says, "I saw a mighty." Or verse uh, five. And one of the elders said to me, "Weep no more. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the seals or scroll in this in its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a Lamb standing, as though it had been slain. The marks of his wounds." must have been visible for John to say this. Uh, Perhaps the marks of his crucifixion is what he saw. Perhaps the the same marks that the apostles saw when he came out of the grave. Perhaps the the same marks that we will see through all eternity so that we'll never forget what it took for our salvation. John saw a lamb as if it had been slain. I want you also to notice that the lamb is strong. He's not weak, he's strong. The picture of seven horns is a picture of strength. That's what this passage is talking about. Horns in the Bible always refer to strength. If that's the case, then even though this lamb had been slain and had not been weakened, he was not weakened. He's still all powerful and he's still almighty. Aren't you glad of that? And notice also that he is searching. Verse seven says he went and he took. Or in verse six, he says, "I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth." He says it has seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, which is which is uh, uh, symbolically represents the Holy Spirit. And what this means is it represents wisdom, it represents His omniscience, it represents His sovereignty. And the only one who's worthy of our praise. Isn't God's plan amazing? I mean, I don't want you to lose this. Here's the lion and the lamb all wrapped up in one person. The lamb is the one that takes away the sins of the world. The lion is of the tribe of Judah. The, the, the lamb is, is, is referenced to his first coming and his death on the cross. But the lion is reference to his second coming and the sovereign judgment that will take place on this world. One writer puts it this way. He says, the lamb represents the grace of God. The lion represents the government of God. He says, as the lamb, he is judged. As the lion, he is judging. As the lamb is symbolic of his meekness, The lion is symbolic of his majesty. As the lamb, he is the savior. As the lion, he is the sovereign. I hope we can keep that in our thoughts. Because that's who takes the scroll from the one who sits on the throne. Verses 8 through 14 all have to do with worship. Look at verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, and the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls, full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Jesus has just, Jesus has just taken the book, just taken the scroll, and has come to reclaim that which is rightfully his. You know, in Daniel chapter 7, if you kept your finger there, you can turn there. We have, a, we have this reference to, again, Here We have a a picture of what's going on here in Revelation chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 13, Daniel writes, And I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days, and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Jesus has taken the scroll and he has come to reclaim that which is right, rightfully his. Jesus Christ is receiving this kingdom from his father and he is about to take control of it. That's an important important part to keep in mind. He owns this earth. Amen? He owns us. Verses 9 through 14. We're going to go ahead and read them. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever and the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped you know it tells us here that they they sang a a new song but it's the same old story it's still part of god's plan the redeemed will be singing and praising his name are you looking forward to that Notice that the angels don't sing, but they do say with a loud voice the praises of the Lamb. They haven't experienced redemption, but they know who God is and, what he is and what His plan is and what He has done. And they know it's going to come to an end exactly like it was supposed to. Isn't that great? Folks, if we think just of God's plan, whether we understand it all or not, Is is not all that important. It's it's you can continue to study that. But what is important to know that God's gospel plan will take place. It will happen. And whether you understand all these different things about when he opens up the scroll and all these different judgments come out and how they're exactly going to take place here on earth, that's not important. The important part is to know that they will take place. And they will affect people, they will affect this earth. And that there are people out around us who do not know this. Don't know Christ as their Savior. Maybe they don't understand what that means. Let me ask you a question. How does that affect us when we talk to those who don't know Christ? Have we ever thought about, you know, God's plan is going to take place? And this person doesn't even know it. Doesn't understand it. In closing, I want you to do this for me. I want us to get the picture clearly in our sight, because I don't want you to forget it. Here's here's the picture I want you to, to see, according to the book of Revelation here. God is on the throne. And around this throne are the redeemed, the 24 elders. And in the midst of the throne on each side are four living creatures. And God's hand is a seven-sealed book or a scroll. That's, what, that's what's taking place. And, the, and there, there's, there's heard a, a voice of a mighty angel saying, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seal? And no one comes forth at first. But then one of the elders say, there is one. There is one who is worthy. And as John looks, picture this in your mind. As John looks, he sees one that looks like a lamb that was slain. And as that one comes forward and takes the book, all heaven breaks forth into praise and into singing. What a scene that must be. We can't even describe it properly, I don't think. What an amazing plan that God has for his gospel. How we need to tell others about that plan from the beginning to the end. Amen? are we doing that that's the question we need to ask let's bow our heads for a word of prayer father we're so grateful for your gospel plan father we're so grateful for your word and and how you've shared it with us but father help us to be bold in our witness help us to to have that desire to share this with others who we know does not know your plan we know has never heard about you as their savior Father, help us to be diligent in that. There's not one person in this place, Father, I know this morning that doesn't know someone who who doesn't know the Lord. And Father, help us to be witnesses for you. Help us to, as we call this local evangelism month, to evangelize and to share the good news of your gospel with them. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.